In the year 1967, the uh, British Broadcasting Corporation, cooperating with other global media organizations, decided to capitalize on um, recent technological advancements by broadcasting the very first live international satellite production. Entitled simply Our World, it would be accompanied by the purpose of unifying different segments of the world through the newly created medium of satellite television. The Our World broadcast, by the way, was sent to 26 different countries and it was watched by over 400 million people. And participating countries were invited to provide artists, artists of all different types, to contribute their artwork as part of the Our World production. For example, opera singer Maria Callas and painter Pablo Picasso were two of the best-known artists who were on the list of contributing artists for the Our World broadcast. For its part, the BBC decided to call upon four lads from Liverpool. And in 1967, the British Broadcasting Corporation commissioned the Beatles to write a song for the Our World broadcast, a song that would be, um, that would somehow give expression to a universal and therefore unifying impulse in the human community. And in response to this invitation, the Beatles, and more specifically John Lennon, wrote a song that was simple enough in its lyrics to be translated to all of these different countries, but also broad enough in its appeal to reach a global audience. On June 25th, 1967, the Our World broadcast was offered to the world, or at least a portion of the world. And on June 25, 1967, the world heard a brand new Beatles song that still somehow carries a great deal of weight, even 56 years later. 56 years later. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Help me on this Sunday morning. All you need is love. Thank you. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. That's exactly right. Thank you. I knew I could count on you folks. Now, keep in mind, yeah, <laughs> keep in mind this was 1967, and picture in your mind for just a moment, especially those of you who lived through it, what was happening in 1967. The Vietnam War was raging. There was great societal unrest over protest and over the emergence of what was quickly called a counterculture. There was tension and violence between the races that dominated the American landscape. And in the midst of all of that, there's this simple British song about love that enters the global consciousness. And by the way, the song very quickly went to number one in America and in many other countries around the world, very quickly. And there were plenty of critics who were quick to dismiss the song as being reflective of an unrealistic and naive philosophy. All you need is love, really? 
Well, come on, the world can't survive simply on love. Love is not going to pay for an apartment and groceries. Love is not going to save a starving person from hunger. Even in the early 1980s, Paul McCartney himself was asked in an interview, is love really, is love really all we need? And I thought McCartney's response was great, at least in that interview. He said, look, I'm just a simple fellow from Liverpool. I don't know what we need. All I know is what you know, and that is a world without love is a world that none of us would be interested in preserving. All you need is love. Now, in your imagination, shift with me from 1967 England to first century Palestine, in which we find Jesus engaged in a conversation with a lawyer. And you know as well as I do that in the first century Jewish context, lawyers did not traffic in our conceptualizations of civil law and criminal law. No, they trafficked in the elaborate canon of Mosaic law, which was elaborate enough to require professionals, scribes, lawyers that could help the people of faith to sort through the particulars, that could help the people of faith to determine what it was that the law was requiring and how they might be able to honor that. And it's in that conversation that this scribe, this lawyer, asked Jesus a question. Specifically, we are told to test him. And the question that the scribe asks is this. Teacher, which commandment in the law is greatest? And even if you've spent time with this scripture before, resist the temptation to minimize the trickiness of this territory because think about it. If Jesus had responded flippantly to the question by saying, well, come on, all the commandments of the law are equally great. You know, I love all of my children. I love all of my students. If he had responded flippantly that way, Then this savvy lawyer might have responded by saying, well, then why, Jesus, do you feel the freedom to break commandments on occasion, plucking grain on the Sabbath, healing people on the Sabbath? Why do you feel the freedom to take liberties if you believe that all commandments in the law are the greatest? Likewise, if he were to have responded to the question by elevating one of the particular commandments over any of the other commandments, this savvy lawyer, like a good lawyer would, might have pulled him into an endless conversation of what about? Okay, but what about this law? Or what about that law? What about this commandment over there? Or that commandment? Teacher, which commandment in the law is greatest? And in his characteristic wisdom, Jesus decides to respond to the inquiry by making a direct appeal to Scripture, thereby eliminating the likelihood of a rebuttal from the lawyer because no expert in Mosaic law is going to be eager to debate a clearly articulated appeal to the Hebrew Scriptures. The greatest commandment of the law, Jesus answered. The greatest commandment of the law is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Ah, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This scribe would have understood that Jesus was going the root of Scripture and appealing directly to the love of God, which is the theological foundation or essence of every Jewish conceptualization of the law. 
And then before the lawyer can respond, Jesus offers a second portion of his response. And you sense that there's an urgency about how he says it. Wait, don't turn away yet because there's a second commandment that's inseparably linked to the first. Can't mention one of these commandments without mentioning the other. They go together. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Here's the second part of it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus says, on these two commandments hang all of the law and all of the prophets. Which is to say, and I don't mean to be simplistic about it, but some, what, 2,000 years before the world would hear about John, Paul, George, and Ringo, Jesus said in a first century conversation with an expert in the law, look, ultimately, all you need is love. Love for God, love for self, love for neighbor. Because ultimately love is the only trustworthy foundation upon which all of the law and all of the prophetic truth can rightly stand. All you need is love. It's interesting to me that in the Greek language, the word that gets translated heart is cardia from which we derive the word cardiovascular. It's the physical heart that's literally being described in this scripture, the the organ that's chiefly responsible for the sustenance of our physical being. And so by inviting us to love God with all of our heart, could it be that Jesus is telling us to love God beyond our feelings? To not make the love dependent upon our feelings? Could it be that Jesus is inviting us to practice the kind of stewardship even over our physical bodies that enables the physical processes of these bodies to become an expression of our adoration to the one who created these bodies? Could it be that Jesus is telling us to allow our love for God to become so organic that we actually give expression to that love in the way we breathe, in our physical activity, in our physical worship? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Cardia. Then the word that gets translated soul is suke, from which we derive the word psychology. It is our innermost being. It's the internal repository for our priorities and our motives and our emotions. And dare I put it this way, those recurring conversations that we continue to have in our inner monologue, even though no one else may ever hear about them. And so by telling us to love God with all of our soul, could it be that Jesus is inviting us to love God with what might crassly be described as our spiritual guts? Our most deeply held joys and sorrows so that our love for God might become something more comprehensively transformational than an adherence to a few creedal doctrines. Could Jesus be telling us to allow our love for God to be so emotional that get this we actually give expression to our love for God through our ridiculous laughter and through our most profound tears since weeping and laughter are the language of the soul love the Lord your God with all of your soul suke 
And when Jesus tells us to love God with all of our mind, the word that's translated mind is dianoia, which calls to mind precisely what you think it would, the space of our thinking, the space of our rational analysis. And so by telling us to love God with all of our mind, could it be that Jesus is inviting us to love God even in the way we train and occupy our intellect? so that our love for God might become something more than a momentary flourishing of emotion. Could Jesus be telling us to love God with the carefulness and the integrity with which we think? What I'm asking you to understand this morning is that in this moment of conversation with this expert in Mosaic law, Jesus is not describing a flickering of religi religiosity. He's not describing a weekly pilgrimage to a church sanctuary. He's not even describing an intellectual ascent to a few doctrines. Rather, he is describing a holistic life of doxology, a life of worship, every part of which, body, soul, and mind, seems to be devoted to the daily work of honoring the character of the one who created us. And the best part, Jesus seems to be saying, the best part is that when our love for God becomes something that organic, something that emotional, something that intellectual, something that all-encompassing, we won't be able to prevent then the flow of that love from spilling over into the way we think about ourselves and the way we conceptualize other people. Which is to say that it is a holistic love for God that begins to shape our ability to recognize and celebrate our own individual sacred worth. And it's also what begins to shape our capacity to see the face of Jesus in every person that we encounter. Love for God, love for self, love for others. Love, love, love. I'll conclude today with a bit of a Halloween story uh, chronicled in uh, one of my journals. So October 31st, 1998, I think if you do research, you'll find it was a Saturday. And on that Saturday, I made a trip to a nearby uh, hospital for the purpose of visiting a parishioner whom I had regularly encountered as a truly beautiful soul. Not an exaggeration, I just, I loved her. 84 years of age, a former missionary, deeply devoted, sacrificially devoted to the church and its ministry. She was one of those souls, and probably when I say this, other folks will come to mind for you, but she was one of those souls who effortlessly helped the people around her to want to live deeper lives simply by virtue of her kindness and her attentiveness and her patience, her way. And when I walked into her hospital room that day on that Halloween, I found her standing beside her bed her portable IV right beside her, holding the hand of one of the nurses and praying with that nurse as the nurse sat on the edge of the bed. It's a beautiful thing to see, but the only thing disrupting this spiritually beautiful moment was the fact that the parishioner was wearing one of those well-ventilated hospital gowns. And um, unwittingly, I was seeing things for which seminary had not prepared me. And so when I... I did that, I, I turned to honor her by looking at the wall and I simply listened to her conclude this beautiful prayer. She prayed so deeply for this nurse. And I didn't know the particulars of 